0: For 30-plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up.
1: Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was
0: truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 144, and I am your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. My goal with every podcast is to help you be the parent you want to be. I interview child and adolescent experts to help you understand your kids and why they do what they do. I'll give you tools to grow them into great kids, and if they're already great, the tools will help you grow them to be greater kids. No topic is off limits. So if there's a subject you're dying to hear about, let me know. Again, these podcasts are for you. At the end of each podcast, I'll give you three points to ponder, which are takeaways that you can start using right away. And remember, when you listen to the podcast, subscribe. Every episode contains the most up-to-date, professional help on a variety of issues. PGK podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher and the Google play store. Friends. I want to ask you a question. If you and I were having coffee and I looked over at you and asked you one question, do you feel guilty during the day? I'll bet you 99% of you, particularly your moms would say yes. And then you'd give me a list of the things that you feel guilty about, what you did and you shouldn't have done, and what you didn't do that you should have done. You don't need to live this way. It's sucking the energy and the life out of you. You can wipe that guilt away by working through three simple questions. It takes time to work these through. And honestly, it's not something you can easily do on your own. You need guidance. But I can guide you through those questions, and within weeks, or even days, you'll feel your guilt lift from your shoulders. Please let me help you do this. Join our private, closed community, the PGK community. Let's get started. You and your kids will feel so much better when that ugly guilt evaporates. And if you're not familiar with the Parenting Great Kids closed community, it is a place where you can ask me questions, chat with other parents, and find support from parents who are struggling with the same issues you are. And you'll have free access to every course I've ever created, those I am creating, and those that I will create. So check it out. Go to meekerparenting.com and look for join the PGK community. Now, today on my show is a guest, Peter Mutabazi. He's an extraordinary man. He has a powerful story. I know you're really going to enjoy this interview. I did. For the past 20 years, Peter has worked for several global nonprofits, as well as local charity organizations that promote wellness and development of children. Peter is a surviving street kid foster dad single father entrepreneur and founder of now i am known a grassroots coalition fostered on adopt a grassroots coalition focused on adoption and foster care an advocate for the most vulnerable peter is an in-demand speaker sharing his story of hope and change now under the points to ponder one open your heart so many of us get caught up in our own worlds our needs desires work and quote the important things we need to do end of quote that we never see those around us stop look around find a person or two and think about what life must be like in their shoes sit in the grocery store parking lot for a few minutes before you leave when you're stopped at a red light look across the street in every city and town in america there are people who need help, especially kids. The truth is most of us are afraid of them. They have things wrong with them and we won't be able to fix them, we think. No, we probably won't be able to, but at least we can let them know that they aren't invisible and that they're worth loving. Two, consider being a foster parent. This is a huge decision and it isn't right for many people, so pray about it ask for direction. If you feel a stirring in your heart, check into it. Many folks are afraid that they don't have enough skills, don't know enough about psychology, or don't have enough money. Forget all of that. If you look into it and find that it isn't for you, okay. But if it is, take a leap of faith, just like Peter did, and let a child change your life. Three, Consider adoption. Many young couples, whether they have children or not, often have resources to adopt another child. Some worry that this may ruin their relationships with their biological kids. Others worry that adoptees will feel awkward and out of place. Remember, there are many resources available to adoptive parents that will help them deal with these issues and overcome them. Most adoptive parents I've spoken with say this, people tell me what a lucky child he is because we changed his life. That's wrong. He's changed us more than we've changed him. I want you now to listen in on a conversation that I had with Peter Mutabazi. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Well, welcome to Parenting Great Kids podcast, Peter. I am so excited to have you here today.
1: Well, I'm excited as well to be with you, Meg. Absolutely, thank you for giving me the honor to participate and enjoy a conversation with you.
0: Honestly, it's it's my honor. Uh, Peter, I want you to tell everybody your story. There are many uh our listeners who may not be familiar with you or the work that you do. And if it's okay, I'm going to start at the very beginning. I know that you had a very difficult life growing up and that you ran away from home when you were 10. So can you tell us a little bit about your life and then where you were born and grew up and then how you ran.
1: Right so you know I as, you know my name is Peter Mutabazi in some way. I didn't have a name until when I was 2 years old and the reason was for most kids that were born during my time They would die before the age of two. So most moms were afraid of their kids dying. And so I think my mom didn't want to get attached. So it's like, well, I'll wait until, you know, until he's two. So at two, you know, she named me, you know, a gift uh, from God. That's how she she called me. You know, but also I grew up from the poor of the poorest. You know, it's hard to explain to an American what poverty means. Think about like your mom, but you cannot promise a meal for your child for the day. Mm -hmm. You know, that if we're lucky, we would have Beans, but we could not have beans and potatoes because that, you know, you'd keep the potatoes for the next day and have beans today. So if we had both, it was a good day. So that's kind of the, the life that I grew grew up in. Didn't have any hope in any way, shape, form. You know, it, it's hard for a mom if they can't feed you for a day to say, well, you should hope for tomorrow. That wasn't there for me. Then at the age of four, I began to realize that not only were we poor, but I had a mean, abusive dad. And so for me, I was kind of. Uh, I didn't have any, any safe place to be, you know, poverty was against me, but my own father who should protect me was my enemy as well. So for me, had you told me to dream or oh, that tomorrow was there for me, I didn't really want to think about tomorrow because today was so harsh that tomorrow was going to repeat what I had the same day, you know? So for me, I didn't really dream and I didn't want to. So at age of four, I began to realize that, look, I can let my dad take my own life or I can choose for someone else to to do it. So one day I woke up in the morning, you know, he sent me to buy cigarettes and it rained so they were destroyed. So I knew I'll get a beating coming back home. So in that split second, I thought, but what if I run away? So I ran away. Basically, I went to the bus station. I had never been 20 miles away from my village. And I asked the lady, which bus goes the farthest? And the reason why I asked because I knew if my dad caught me, I'd be in trouble. Mm. So I ran away, and I didn't know where I was going, and I ended up in Kampala. So that's how I ran away from home, and, and that's how I ended up being a street kid for the next four years.
0: So, and you were you were born in um, Uganda, correct?
1: You, correct, uh, okay. at the border of Uganda and Rwanda, in a small little village called Kabale.
0: Okay. Did you have siblings?
1: Yes, I'm the oldest of five. You know, the oldest mm. of five. So uh you know big family as well extended family you know with nieces and uh, you know and 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 nieces uh, around as well
0: so peter you ran away you were 10 and you landed in a town and then you ended up in a boarding school how did that happen
1: yeah, so this is how it happened. So as street kids in Uganda, we don't beg for money. Most people don't make a dollar a day. So you don't beg, but you work hard and you're used as cheap labor. But also for us as street kids, it was the easiest way to steal food. You know, mm. so we would help people and then nibble a few beans and potatoes here. And, and then we eat once it's night. And so when I saw this family, I wanted to take food from them, you know. So I said, can I help you? You know, But they're like, um yes sure but before I could take it they gave me food and they asked me my name for the first time for the four years I lived on the streets no one ever asked what my name was Mm -hmm. but but they did ask and they gave me a meal but they would come often to the city so I got to see them often you know and they fed me for one year and a half you know Uh, and then finally they asked me hey if you had an opportunity to go to school would you go to school Mm -hmm. and I was like uh wait a minute you know you, you think of you're street kid. You're told every day you never mount to anything. You're yeah. nobody. You get to believe that. So it, you get to meet this stranger who didn't know who you were, but somehow saw potential in you. And he says, Would you like to go to school? It's hard to believe for me. You know, it, it's more like me telling you, Dr. Meg, would you like to go to the moon? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh you'd be like, I don't work for NASA. I'm not sure I want to go there. So the <laughs> same for me as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. School seemed Far-fetched. That like, there's no way I could never make it, but because of his kindness for feeding me once in a while, I think he, I trusted him. So he said, "You'll go to school, uh, but on two conditions. One, it's a boarding school, and two, you attend the local church." Um, so, I, uh, you know, I think he knew there's no way I could go to his home and go to school, but he knew maybe bo- boarding school was the best place for me to see if I can adjust to the real life. You know, but also he promised me that at school I would have, you know, lunch, dinner, and breakfast. So for me, I didn't hear much of the school I had about lunch, dinner, and breakfast, you know. So I I went for the meal, but I waited for the next meal, for the next meal. And then I realized that I needed to do well in school in order to have that meal. So it wasn't that I wanted to be somebody, but I think... Through the meal that I looked for, the next meal, the next meal, I realized just that I was also smart in school as well. And that's all that took to change my life. Wow.
0: So you finished school and after school, what what then?
1: So I, you know, I was good at school. So I went to university in Uganda and then I got a scholarship to go study in United, you know, in the United Kingdom. So I went to London. And started, then I came back to Uganda, and then I got a scholarship to go to study here in the United States. So he's a street kid, by the kindness of a stranger, uh, that he has opportunities that he never dreamt to, to be. And that's how I came to the United States, and then I started working for, for Compassion International.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. What a story. So the work that you do now is um, called Now I Am Known. And you, um, I'm going to have you tell us about that in a little bit, um, but you donate stuffed animals, puppies. Um, But you have adopted a number, I shouldn't say adopted, you have fostered many children in your home. So did you start fostering children because of your own experience?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, It was my own experience that I understood what it meant to have no father. I understood what it meant to have no food. I understood what it meant to be neglected. I understood what it meant when you go through abuse. So all that trauma had gone through. So for me, it was easy to relate with foster kids. Unfortunately, most of them, you know, they've kind of gone through what I went through. But also on the other side is the stranger cared for me and he had no idea who I was that like he saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself. So for me, when I came to United States in some way, I began really thinking through, wait a minute, someone rescued me and I'm in mean, the world has the best of the world to offer. But also knowing that there were kids in my neighborhood that had nowhere to go. So I could not really, really in some way, be The guilt, I think, in me, you know, kind of like, you know, too much is given, much is required. I have been given so much. How can I give back? So for me, signing up, being a foster parent, it wasn't, there were basically, yes, two things. One, that someone had done for me, but also I understood what those kids went through that I'll be able to, you know, have empathy and also know how best to really help them, especially due to trauma. That I decided to be a foster dad. And since then I've had 16. I have four in my house right now and adapted my my oldest and in the process of adapting another teen as well.
0: Wow. Well, the story is just overwhelming and it just sort of makes your heart seize up because it, it's so powerful. Now you sound like a very happy person. And I and I say that not because I'm startled, but because the life that you went through was so horrific. And then you took in kids who had gone through, I mean, this is serious trauma that you went through. I mean, you, you really probably thought in those first 10 years of your life, you might die at any time. Is that correct?
1: Correct. You know, you know, Die in the hands of my father, and then you know, being on the streets for four or five years—that was even worse because I didn't know I had a next hour. You know, you went to sleep with you know other kids, and in the morning they were poisoned, dead, or car ran them over. So for me, the life that I you know, to, to to think that I had a future was foreign in some way. Yeah. You know, uh, so so for me, yes. Uh, but, but also I think I chose to not want to use my past to be bitter, that I think I always wanted to do better in life, use it as a platform to do better. You know, and I think for me, my father really took that away from me, that he made me feel I didn't matter to anything at all. And mm-hmm. I think in so doing, I think I wanted to make sure that I let him know, like, I matter, you know, I matter. That what you meant for evil? like Somehow I'm going to use it for the best of my life that I can be. And I think that's why I find happiness, you know, to look at the past and use it more of a a way as a journey to help me uh, in some way, navigate the future. Mm -hmm.
0: The reason I ask that is I think in the United States, when we're um, working with kids who've been traumatized, who've been through, not even as much as you were through, um, they tend to get stuck and we tend to get stuck. And what we believe is, um, and you, and you, crash all this belief is that if a child went through that then that's why they act up so much during their teen years and because of what they went through they might forever have scars that are going to change their life and even ruin their life so when I meet somebody who went through what you did and has is happy and productive and not allowing his past to, run his life now. I'm amazed. And, and I love that. I just love that. And that's why I ask, you know, how did you not get stuck in the hurts and wounds of your past?
1: You know, again, you know, going back to my father, you know, but also understanding in this way that I cannot change the past, but I can change tomorrow because I, past has passed, but I can change tomorrow. But also understanding that sticking or staying in the past ruins what my future might hold so knowing that hey hey, i'm i'm not gonna my dad said i would never amount to anything my dad said as i was nobody but that's what he believed and that's what he said towards me but not necessarily that that's really who i am you know mm-hmm. that i chose to say you can say that all day long but I choose not to
0: believe in that. So, and when I, did I, when did when did you make that transition that I because that's really what your your work is centered around is that you say I don't matter, but I know I do matter. How do you make that transition? Was it through that person who sent you to school? Was that through college? Was that coming through America? When did that when did that belief flip?
1: It flipped when I was eight years old. And here's what happened. So my dad beat the crap of me, you know? So then he, you know, asked me to go fetch water. As kids in Africa, we go three miles away to fetch water walking. So I did, but on my way back, I, I, you know, I passed by the bar and he was, you know, I, when I went, I was mad and really angry towards him. But as I passed at the bar, I saw him laughing and having fun. I was like, wait a minute, I've been sulking all day, but this man is just having fun, you know? So I think at that point I said, you know what? I'll let you be the crowd me by body, but I will let, uh, but I will not let you in some way really affect my mind and my spirit. So I came back home and I told my little brother and sister, I said, you know what? Next time dad beats up, let's make it more fun. Let's count numbers until Christ fast. Let's borrow each other's clothes so maybe we can protect one. So we made it more, I made it more like, okay, it's hurtful, it's hard, but let's not put our mind and our hearts there. Let's find a way on really how to deflect it in some way. And I think for me, that's what really changed for me, knowing that, I, you know, I had been sulking all day and he's a man who didn't care. You know, he was smiling and I just said, you know what? I'm not going to let you get to my heart or to my brain at all. And that's what changed for me. And that's kind of the mechanism I used since, you know, since then uh, that wow. you, you can do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. But I have a mind and a heart that I can choose not to let you go there.
0: Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Peter Mutabatsi. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. So let's jump to your life in the past 10 years or so. You have your single father. I need Mm -hmm. to point that out. And you have fostered how many kids? 16 now?
1: 16, yes.
0: Okay. Now, when were they boys, girls, a mix?
1: Mix, a mix of okay. all, yes.
0: Okay. So, when the kids would come into your home, and of course, they come in with trauma of their own, they've been abused, they've been abandoned, they've been neglected, and they don't feel that they're worth anything. Uh, How do you start to work with them, particularly if they're acting, which a lot of hurt kids do mean? So how did you start to work with them?
1: You know, so, you know, first of all, I really had to understand, you know, who the kids are, where were they coming from and what's the nature of of what they had to go through first. So that would help me to know uh, really where to start. First. Most of my kids I've had they're looking for someone to love them first. Mm -hmm. That's all they're looking for, a safe home and a loving home. So I knew that is my first place. If I can let them trust that that they know I'm there to protect them and I'm there to love on them. And I took boys first. And I think most boys are looking for a dad. So, you know, right away I became more of that dad figure, you know, know, that Mm -hmm. they were looking for. So knowing that I had that opportunity in their lives to say, okay, you know, I cannot judge you by the behaviors you have so, because most of the behaviors are more what is happening internally, you know? So if my kids are stealing food and hiding it, again, I'm not saying they are not stealing, but I cannot look at that way. Like they are bad kids. They are doing not, you know, think about that these kids had to survive by, you know, hiding food because there wasn't, there wasn't anyone to feed them. So for me to focus on and to say, I'm not going to accuse them or I'm not going to make him of a big deal, but really make sure that they know there's enough food. Like, hey, there's enough food. So one trick I would use, I would write their names on the food in the fridge. So they knew, okay, my name is on the food in the fridge. So if I come tomorrow, it'd be there. So I don't have to take it and hide it, but my name is on it. You know, and every morning they would come and open the fridge and as they see it, they know. But it wasn't something that I have to do one time. Like you occasionally often had to do that, and with time, that they would begin to understand that, oh, okay, uh, food is not going to run away, you know? Okay. Uh, or if they really acted out in some way, you know, where they knew, okay, I'm going to be kicked out, you know? But for me, you know, I would choose not to really in some way address what's going on, but just find a way on how to take them for an ice cream. So from from doing so bad to really some way, someone might look at it like I was rewarding them for being so bad, No. But I wanted to understand how, what sparked that trigger, you know, what made you go that way by not threatening the child, but by letting him feel comfortable and safe with me first. So an ice cream, their favorite ice cream, you know, is what we would have. And then in the midst of that, I say, so do you miss mom? You know, are you angry? Mom didn't come last weekend. It's like, yeah. Absolutely. So then I'm dealing with the internal of what they're feeling rather than the behaviors that they portrayed a few hours ago, you know. So for me, it was more knowing. You know, I think most of us, we get to have friends, but we want them in a certain box, you know. But for me, understand that my kids come with trauma, so I have to accept them with all the baggage so when they show up then I know okay how do I help him really let go of this baggage or find a way on how to really navigate through that so that's kind of for me what has helped me you know knowing that I don't have a perfect child but I have a kid who has trauma and I cannot read it by the behaviors I really have to help them internally first and deal with that and then the behaviors we will deal with it you know with, with time you know my first kid he came in He said. I I remember he said, he called me the B word, you know, he said, you B, go get me some water. And I was like, "Whoa!" (laughs) so I went and got the water for him, you know, and then after he drank and I said, hey, in my family, we don't call people that word, you know, but I knew that's what his dad called his mom, if he needed something urgently. So rather than take that person on a child, but truly try to understand where did he learn it from and how did he understand what it means? And help them through, like, hey, you've had that, but it's not the good word that we get to use here. And that kid, he never said it again, you know?
0: Wow. You sound like you have a PhD in psychology, <laughs> really. But it's brilliant what you do. That's brilliant because I think that whether we're foster kids, adoptive kids, biological kids, you know, parents get so tripped up by our kids' behavior, that we tend to just try to manage the behavior rather than saying, wait a minute, your behavior isn't you. Mm-hmm. Your behavior is coming out of trauma and whatever, but you don't like your behavior as much as I don't like your behavior. So let's, let's sort of set your behavior aside, which is extremely hard to do. I, I will tell you, yes. I've been practicing over 30 years. I have never had a parent say, when my kid acted up, I bought him an ice cream cone. <laughs> you know, but but what you were doing is looking beyond the kid to his heart. That's what you needed. And now that's what you're giving back. Was there ever a time that a child didn't respond to you or said like, I can't bring myself to trust. I just can't. I've been so wounded and they run away. Has that ever happened to yeah.
1: no, you? Never, but it maybe take longer time. So, you know, again, I've had a kid who when he's upset, he will cry, but he didn't know how to come back. So he didn't know how to somehow I get a stop. And for four hours, the kid would cry and yell nonstop, you know, but then I realized that, hey, I had to let him kind of find a way to come back. You know, so I would let him cry. So instead of, let's say, putting him in, in his room, I will just sit next to him. You know, so he would cry and cry. And then after he said, Dad, can you hold me? I'm like, you could have said that 30 minutes ago, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But, but I realized, like, he, he just didn't know how to stop. You know, so I would let him. Do, so the first, you know, 20 times it was four hours. And then we go to three. And then we go to two. And then a very good one, but I had to be patient and help him through, you know, I won't take him go to your room or go somewhere else like I would sit there, you know, and him seeing me then I think he was like, look, he's not going away, but he really, he really wants me in some way. And that's how we worked it out, you know? But I had yeah. to patiently wait for those cries. And then we tell. Um, with our foster kids or with any child with trauma is you have to bring them to their point where they understand, where they're in the mind of the place to say, what are you saying? I can't understand. When a kid is missing his mom or his dad and he's angry and cannot articulate how, why, um, no matter what I say, that cannot they, they cannot hear me. They cannot understand. But have to put them in a place where humanly we can communicate, where they can hear what this man's saying. I understand it. I hear it. But in the moment when that flip is off, that just you—I mean, you're you're a, a lizard in their in their mind. No matter what you say, it doesn't make sense at all. You know,
0: it's so simple, but it's so hard. And as I hear you speak, I'm struck by the fact that you took so much time. And I think that one of the problems we American parents struggle with is time. Mm -hmm. We're so quickly trying to get on to the next thing that we literally may say, I don't have time even to sit with this child for an hour when they're crying, what am I gonna do? So then they try to curb the behavior, they send the kid to their room or they get angry at the kid. But really, helping that child is so much simpler, but requires so much more from us. And I think maybe that's where we're missing the boat as parents. Do you see this in parents around you?
1: In some way, yes. You know, Time out is time out. But to a kid who's been in time out for most of their lives, like, hey, anything they do, they, they are locked out in the room. Either mom is doing drugs somewhere or doing something with someone else. They've always been locked in the room. So for me, when they do bad and say, hey, go to your room, I mean, am I triggering his past? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, but how can I still be a parent and help them? So for me, uh, time out is time out in my office with me or time out in my kitchen with me. So they're sitting, I'm there sitting, you're not going to play your video games. You're going to sit here with me in the kitchen. As I clean or as I do dishes, you know, because that's kind of what I want to win them over. Sending them to to the other it triggers more, so it, it doesn't to them. It's no learning because that's kind of how the parents or where they're coming from they were treated, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so your response to bad behavior was not to push them away; it was to draw them closer, closer. to you. Correct. Wow.
1: Because that's what for me mentally and as a kid, that's what I missed. If I did something, there was more of what I was trying to say, but no one understood me, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was angry and nervous that my father was gonna come later, uh, you know, someone else would think, why are you jiggly? Why can't you sit still? Because I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that the, the mind who's about to come is about to hurt me in some way, right.
0: you know? Well, and you're so smart. I, I think that, first of all, young children can't articulate their feelings. No. Um, and, and a lot of parents will say, you know, my nine-year-old just erupts and screams. How do I get her to articulate her feelings? I said, you know, sometimes they just can't. They just need to vent. But then as kids get older, um, you know, they have a hard time. But what you're saying is really don't expect that. Just sort of let them be. And over time, they'll sort of... It's almost like they need to purge the pain.
1: Correct. You know, uh, mm-hmm. You know. for us, you know, I think sometimes also we... we we. I mean, I have t- kids who are both biological, but the trauma has affected them differently, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I can't somehow assume every child will react the same way. Like you have to really... Approach them individually, you know, on mm-hmm. how they process, on how they work, you know. One misses mom, but hey, it's fine. The other one is why he's asking. Why would she do that, you know? Right. And so, how you approach them is is truly different, you know, uh, in that way. You know, there are kids, you know, even biological kids, you know, there are, there are ways they they look at things, there are ways they respond to things that sometimes we we have a genetic way of how we approach mm-hmm. that, but rather than say, but you know, this one is a little different. I gotta really think out of the box in order Mm -hmm. to be able to be there for for this little one.
0: Well, you have used all of your life experience as a father, as a child, um, and everything you've done to do extraordinary work today. And you have an initiative called Now I Am Known. Would you talk to us about that, please, and how you decided to do this specific work?
1: Yes, absolutely. So when this man picked me up, when they took me, you know, later they, they they wanted me to live with them, you know. So when I lived with them, I still had wounds that I had to deal with. So they began using words of affirmation, you know. One day, I think he wanted me to sit in front of the car, and I, I felt like I don't deserve to sit in the in the car, so I refused. But he looked at me and said, "Peter, you matter to us." And I mean, I I was crying inside, like, you you, do you are you sure? Do I do I matter? You know. So they use words of affirmation. Often, Peter, if I was angry and I'm lashing, they're like, Yes, say because you need to be hard. I'm like, Wait, what? You know, Uh, and and so the more they use, or sometimes I'll overdo things because I felt like I had to please them, and they'll say, Peter, you are enough. There's nothing you need to do to honor love. And I'm like, Wait, what? You know, (laughs) and our kids. some way go through. So for me, once they changed my my life, I really wanted to also use them towards my kids, you know, knowing that my kids come from trauma uh, background that I wanted to use those, you know, those words of affirmation to really come alongside and encourage. So I wrote them on the steering wheel, on the fridge and in my bedroom so I can always remember them, you know, that you are not alone. You are a gift to me like you are a gift to me so they can hear that really. Am I a gift to you? Yes, you are on how you've come to my house. You're brave for what you've gone through. You're really brave because sometimes, you know, they feel like, you know, uh, some. I reported my mom, it's my fault. No, it is not your fault, but you're brave that you could stand that and say, this is what was happening at my, in my family. So once we got a dog, I realized like, wait a minute, you know, because sometimes our kids, my kids, when they, when you know, when they flip that street and they're in trauma, they don't want to talk to me. They want to go to the bedroom or they want to, just shy away from me. So I figured, you know, they don't like to see dad in this moment, but they want to see the dog. So then I created the other uh, bandana that dog wears with 12 words, at least when they're with the dog, they get to see and read those words. And, and I saw that really improvement. So I thought, wait a minute, what if I share that with other foster parents and other biological parents in order to give them words and remind them too. you know, as parents, we can get busy, but we we don't remember to say, son, you, you you matter to me, you know? You matter. Son, you belong with us. And so that's how it came. So we created, you know, now I'm, now I'm non-plashy. And, you know, we sell one and then we give one to kids in the foster care and the mm-hmm. hospital. Why the hospital? Because they sit there for weeks and months sometimes. So to, to give them something to look and say, okay, I'm a gift, you know? I am brave. I am hard seen. I matter and I belong. Um, and
0: well, I think... It really would touch the the person who gave the dog as much as the person who's getting it because it's almost like a a, a connection there. plus, you know, that stuffed animal, which they're so cute. I mean, they're really cute. um, um it, it gives them something to hold and and something to hug. and 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 a a real visible way to be reminded. This was given to me because I matter, and I can hug this thing, and it's not going away. Of course, you know, unless you use it. But I think that's a brilliant thing to do—not just to write somebody a book or, you know, say something to to them, but to put that scarf around them that they can have that animal as a constant reminder. Um, it, it's it's extraordinary. I'm looking at a picture of you. And uh, with your real dog, so <laughs> real dog. And then the, and then the soft puppy, they're so cute. The, the puppies look that you created exactly. look just like your dog. Exactly. Yeah. So they yeah,
1: look, absolutely. You know, i I just use my own family experience and that's kind of how we create it because it's a really simple, but also when the child gets the, the plush, they get to know someone has a number. So you're not alone because someone has a twin of the number you have. And also they can name the. Uh, the plushie at the bottom, it says, what's my name? So the kid gets to choose the name they want to really name the, the plushie. So it's very it's very tangible, but also mm-hmm. it, it's words that sometimes they are longing to hear. And, and if I can read, I mean, to me, I feel like they, they work more magic for me than they do for my kids because I, I have moments where I don't feel. Uh, that I'm special. I have moments where I don't feel. I mean, you know, I'm I'm brave. For what I'm doing, but when I read them, remind me like, okay, 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 okay. I can do this. I can. Do I can
0: this. do this. Yeah, yeah. Do you give plushies to teenagers, young kids? Is there an age cutoff?
1: All, all the kids from you know from zero to twenty-one.
0: Yeah, yeah. I bet, because we tend to forget that, you know, even 16, 17, eight year old kids have that little child inside that needs to, you know, bond with something or something that reminds them of something good. Um, Peter, I could talk to you for another hour and a half, and I really want you to come back on my show right? because I want to see how this initiative grows, mm-hmm. because I have no doubt it's going to grow because a plushie is something that you can give and to uh, foster kids, adoptive kids, but even to your own child to let them know that you see them, you mm-hmm. love them, you accept them. Um, and I, I just think adults could use one. I tell you, because that's such a core belief that all people have to have in their lives is that I am loved and I am valued and I am seen. And often it's the big messages that we forget to communicate in life
1: absolutely yes you're right I have one man who said hey thank you so much my wife comes from trauma and sometimes I did not remember to say these words but I bought this plush and I gave her and she says it's the best gift ever and she puts in everywhere my kids to have a 14 and 17 they don't go to bed and I thought like it can't work but they don't go to bed without their their plushes and I was really surprised on how those words and it's not so much about the plush I think it's the the words on it to know like hey i am known you know just that enough to go to bed knowing i am known
0: i'm I not am known. well and i am known by a specific person the person that that cared enough to give this to me peter you're really an extraordinary man and i said at the beginning i've interviewed hundreds of guests and i'm so honored to have you on i am so humbled by the work that you do because you are doing the the noble work Um, that needs to be done in our country. How can people uh, find out more about your initiative and more about the work that you're doing or even get a plush, even get a plushie? Absolutely.
1: They can go to nowimknown.com and they'll get a plushie and see our stories. They can also go to, uh, you know, Instagram. I'm called Foster Dad Flipper because I used to flip houses. Someone's like, do you flip children? I'm like, "Mm, in some way, you know, they come and go. Uh, But Foster Dad Flipper is my Instagram. And uh, uh, you know, Peter Mutabazi uh, is my uh, Facebook as well. So awesome. those are areas you can go and find more of our story and mm-hmm. join with us.
0: Great. Peter, thank you so much. God bless you. And I encourage everybody who's listening to go to your website and invest in a child, invest in a plushie. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. I want to thank my guests. Peter Mutabazi so much for joining me on the show today. To find out more about Peter, go to nowiamknown.com. That's nowiamknown.com. Be sure to follow him on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Just search for Peter That's Mutabazi. That's M U T A B A Z I in your internet browser. So now onto my points to ponder. 1. Open your heart. Two, consider being a foster parent. And three, consider adoption. Remember, you have to check out Parenting Great Kids community on my website, meekerparenting.com, and sign up. It's really fun, and I know you're going to love it. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised not born.